I invite you to turn with me there to that verse. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Sounds good. Let's repeat it. There is therefore now no condemnation for you or for me when we are in Christ Jesus. When we walk, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You this morning for Your mercy and Your grace and the way You move in our lives. And I'm asking as we go forward this, with the breaking of the Word and Your message that we would hear clearly from You. Thank You that You love us completely, that You know who and whose we are and how to manifest Your presence with us. Lord, I know that there's a time in our life when we weren't a part of who You were, that our lives were empty, broken, and pointless. Or so it would seem. But then you came at the right time, in the fullness of time, in Jesus Christ to our lives, and bought us with a price. And when we entered into that relationship, Heavenly Father, something changed dramatically and drastically inside us that we would never be the same, that we could never go back. And this morning, Lord, I ask that you would stir up the depth of that transformation in us and remind us And we're not done yet. That we've only just begun. And we're still in relationship with the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. With a jealous God who loves us completely. And ask simply that we surrender our heart every moment of our lives unto Him. Lord, help us to do that this morning. And anything else that you would have us to hear this morning, I ask that the words in my mouth, the meditations in our hearts, and the thoughts in our minds would be acceptable in your sight. Lord God, you are our strength our rock, and my Redeemer. Amen. Oh, me. I know a man. And he said to me one day, he said, I struggle with lying. You ever heard anybody lie or misrepresent the truth on a regular, consistent basis? Almost like pathologically lying? Well, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but this man... Didn't know how to tell the truth. And I said, you do not struggle with lying at all. You're quite good at it. (laughs) I've met a lot of people and you have no problems with that. And he said, what do you mean I don't struggle with it? It's making me miserable. I can't tell the truth. I said, it sounds like you have trouble with honesty, not lying. And he looked at me and said, what's the difference? (laughs) what's the difference well let me ask you a question is there a difference between not lying and telling the truth is there a difference between not um, being truthful and being honest is it the same side of the same coin or is it two different sides of a coin this morning I share with you it's two sides of different coins. One of them focuses on the sin nature. But honesty is only cultivated through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? 
Because Jesus Christ is truth. Satan is the father of lies. They're not the same. You can resist the devil all day long, but if you don't start following Jesus, you're still resisting the devil all day long. Trying not to lie isn't the same as telling the truth. Being honest, being righteous and holy. In our verse this morning, it talks about there's no condemnation for me. Because I am in Christ Jesus. But we as believers sometimes miss out on what that really means. There's two parts, as I said, to this verse. Maybe even three if you break it down even more particular. It says there's no condemnation when we're in Christ. But that to me is all one thing when you're in Christ. However, it's contingent on the second part. It says that they do not walk after the flesh or evil impulses in this world, but after the Spirit and moving of the Holy Spirit. Now hear this. The flesh is the part that's trying not to do something. The Holy Spirit's trying to get us to do something. Jesus didn't say, don't hate people. He said, go and love one another. That's what He said. He didn't say, go and... um, Avoid the people who hurt you. He said, pray for those that persecute you. Bless them. He gave us a response of what to do, not what not to do. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you'll look at the law. And in the law, as we learn, the law can't make us holy. If you ever talk to a police officer, he'll tell you he's never given a citation to someone who did something right. Hey, you know, I just saw you going 55 and the 55 wanted to bless you with a citation saying good job. A certificate of good work. He's not looking for people doing the right thing, is he? He's looking for people doing the wrong thing. A lot of people in Christianity are the same way. They're looking for the things that people are doing wrong rather than what God is trying to do around them. What what God is trying to do right through them. We sometimes do that to ourselves. We get caught up in that and we say, wait a minute, I'm not a holy person. Christ is holy, I'm not. I'm just a sinner. There's, I'm just, I prove it every day. I sin every day. Therefore, God can't possibly use me because I'm a sinner. I sin, therefore, I'm no good. God doesn't say that. God doesn't call you a sinner. He calls you the righteousness of Himself in Jesus Christ. He sees you as righteous. Regardless of how you see yourself, God sees you as redeemed, free, holy, justified, sanctified, and glorified in Christ Jesus. Well, we don't seem to think that way though, do we? We live our lives trying to please God when God says we are His pleasant aroma through our prayers and our praises. In Revelation it says those altar incense. We talked about the tabernacle and the altar and the incense that's filled the place on the Day of Atonement. uh, That it was for the presence of God's Spirit to be in there. In heaven, there's an incense and it's the prayers and the praises of the saints. That God smells and enjoys. 
It pleases God when we pray and praise. You might say, Oh, I don't pray very good. And I don't praise very good. i got a horrible singing voice. God is not looking at what you sound like. He's looking at your heart. Over and over throughout Scripture, God is looking at our heart, not at our physical attributes. He looks at the very core of who we are, and He looks at you and says, that's my child. When my child says, thank you, that's praise enough. He wants a grateful heart, as we sang, Give thanks with a grateful heart. Oh, thanks God for the rain. I was going to till my garden today, and now it's raining. I don't think that way. I think, thank you Lord for the rain. I guess I'll till it tomorrow or Tuesday or, or later. Maybe you want me to rest today. Mm-hmm. Maybe so. And I, that's true. I was going to till the garden today. And if it's wet and muddy, oh, not happening. And I'm not upset about that. I can wait. And God says, yes, you can. So I'm grateful. I'm not upset about that. But if I can, I'm thankful as well. Because in all things, as Christians, we learn to give thanks from a heart that says, I belong to God regardless of circumstance. And that's kind of tough. But in the book of James, you see that God says He uses our circumstances to grow our faith to show our character, and to improve it. So, the Bible says in the Old Testament that the law was set forth. And we as Christians kind of look at it like a police officer. Here's who's lining up. Here's who's not. But Jesus Christ came to fulfill that law. To complete it. Because we cannot. The only thing the law can do is help you if you're 100% perfect in it. And nobody is. Therefore, we fall under condemnation of sin. But in Christ, we're the redeemed and uncondemned anymore. Well, if the Bible says it, why do we disagree with it? It says, I am holy in Christ Jesus. That I'm filled with all His power and authority. It says, I have what Christ has given me, which is all the power from on high. That I have the authority to speak in Jesus' name, to trample on uh, serpents, to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to preach the gospel. I have that, you have that, in Jesus Christ. But we say, oh no, no, I'm not good enough for that. I can't do that. I haven't been trained. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that any of the disciples were trained They were fishermen and tax collectors. He took the worst part of society without education, without training, and sent them out two by two. It's the witness of the Holy Spirit inside of you, inside of each one of us, that says God is doing this. Amen? Amen. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to show us that we are who he says we are. I th- I'm thankful for that. Because a, a lot of times I'll, I'll think I've messed up and God will say, your sins and iniquities I remember no more. I don't know what sin you're talking about. But God, I just did it. Are you blind? And God will say, you don't understand. This isn't about sin. This is showing you your character. 
and how much you need me. <laughs> what? My character, how much I need God? No, no, this can't be about that. Why wouldn't it be? If there's places in our lives, any place in your life where you fall short of the glory of God and what you're doing, God is showing you that that's a part of your life you haven't surrendered. That you are not walking by the Spirit in that area of your life. It doesn't mean you're condemned. It's an area to grow. It's an area to be thankful. God, you want me closer? Yes. Thank you. I'll do that. We tend to think that what we are all about is living in our world around us and the world determines, as we do, whether or not we're holy, righteous, and just before God. God says that's living from the outside in. That our world tells us what's true about us. But God says we live from the inside out. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather live from the inside out than the outside in. What does that mean? It means that God has placed His Holy Spirit in each believer. That the Spirit of Christ lives in you. That's the hope of glory. It's the realization of all His promises. And that God is working on this for you and me. And that no matter what you think of yourself or your abilities, your qualities, and your worthiness, there's no condemnation. God broke the gavel. When it comes to sin, God broke the gavel in our lives. There's nobody to swing that thing down because our judge is our redeemer. He is our defense attorney. He is our one who says you are no longer under the burden of the sin and the law. Yet we still think sin's our master. We still think it's all about sin and it's not about sin for a Christian. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus Christ came to abolish the effects of the power of sin in our life and to take it out of the way as an operating force in the believer's life. He came to destroy sin, not to manage it. This is not about sin. This is not about not sinning. This is not not sinning. (laughs) We getting there yet? Not not sinning. Do not not sin. Can't do that. That's saying what you're not going to do. Can't do that. God did not command you to not sin. He he commanded you to live holy, righteous, just, and humble before Him. Nowhere in that sentence does He go, don't go around not sinning. What am I doing right now? I'm not sinning. (laughs) How do you know you're doing well? Because I'm not sinning. God says that's not what it's all about. That you will do justice, mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That is what He requires of you. He never says, this is all about not sinning. You're changing who you are. Well, here's the problem though. Is a lot of the world teaches us like this. That there's sin, and it separates us from God. The fact of the matter is, it does not separate a believer who walks by faith in the Holy Spirit from God. We are not separate. Sin is not in the picture. This is a depiction of how people still believe and teach this in general 
theology, churches around the nation, probably around the world, that sin is still in the equation and it's not. It's gone. Jesus Christ has removed sin as a part of that equation. It's you and God. You and Jesus in that relationship. God says, I don't see your sin anymore. Hebrews 13 says, their sin and iniquity I remember no more. The psalm, as far as the east is from the west, which keeps going infinitely in opposite direction, your sin is no longer there. Understand there's no condemnation because of sin in your life when you walk by the Holy Spirit in conjunction with Jesus Christ because it's forgiven. It's gone. God sees you as righteous. We keep putting the sin back in there and making it a part of our relationship with God and it's not. It's gone. The cross took it away. However, just because there's not sin in the picture doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. It's when you walk by the Holy Spirit and live out the Christian life through the power of God that you do. There are three different kinds of people in this world. A lot of people say, well, there's only one kind, people who like me and people who don't. Or people who are like me and people who are not. But those three different kinds of people are in our bulletin on the back. They're the proactive, the reactive, and the inactive. Um, Sometimes we say couch potato for the inactive. For the reactive, it's those who are controlled by their environment and the proactive are the movers and the shakers, but that's not what that means. It's not what it's all about. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, it's this that's in your bulletin. An inactive person doesn't take responsibility, doesn't see responsibility for their lives, and their perspective when facing difficulties is that it's a new situation. This is stressful. I need to avoid everything. I want to escape from that. I can't cope. They feel overwhelmed and they're in complete denial about their life situation. Most believers who are inactive are not walking by the Holy Spirit and therefore they feel condemnation. Self-condemnation. God may convict their hearts to get moving, but He's not condemning them. And when they... When a person who's inactive gets uncomfortable, they do anything they can to get comfortable again. I once uh, saw this uh, cartoon um, showed a person who was sitting on the couch, and and they did and it, it, it was called classic couch potato. They had a refrigerator next to it, a, a, a toilet stool on right next to them on the couch, and uh, and a pillow and a blanket and their TV remote, and extra batteries. So they didn't have to move more than two feet to stay in front of their TV or doing what they were doing. I thought that was interesting because that's their comfort zone. But God isn't asking you to be comfortable, is He? If He was, He wouldn't allow your faith to be tested and tried. A person who's inactive when they come to the belief often feels stressed, They feel weak and powerless. They have low self-esteem because they don't believe that the power of God within them can do anything. And the worst part is they've never tried. If they have tried, it didn't work, so they're not going to try again. 
They're not going to try another leap of faith because the first one hurt. They took a step of faith, but not a leap. And that step of faith was to stand up from the couch, take a step and say, oh, this isn't comfortable, I'm sitting back down. But a person who's reactive in the faith, the responsibility comes from the outside. You tell me what to do, God, and I'll do it. I'll do it as long as you show me in clear-cut terms, I'll do what you say. Tough stuff comes along. They see new situations as problems rather than opportunity for grace. They take actions to solve those things and then they go back to their comfort zone. But their comfort zone is the non-panic zone. It's not the couch. It's a place where they feel they can do things within their own realm of expertise. But this person who believes like this often feels stressed, lost, and reluctant to act. They're not very self-motivated and self-starters. They feel safe, but aimless. In other words, they're walking around in life saying, God, I know you have a purpose for me. I'm not sure what it is. If you just be really clear, and and God, I know you told me, but I'm not real sure, so... (laughs) Uh, Tell me again, because uh, I'm not sure if I can do that, because that sounds too hard. Anybody in here like that? I've been like that a lot. I've been in the faith, couch, potato, inactive zone. I've been in the reactive, God show me and I'll do it zone. And then there's the proactive. Stephen Covey once said that all of the healthy habits in our life start with being proactive that it's the first step of the habit of a healthy person is to be proactive rather than reactive or inactive in life. The responsibility then comes from inside. And it's not talking about humanism or self-will. It's talking about Jesus Christ is inside of me and I respond to Him because I know He's there and I'm seeking Him out within and around me in the world so that I know He's there already. I don't have to go looking. And I want to go out and do something. An inactive person stays on the couch so they don't sin. A reactive person says, I see sin in my life and I'm going to try to do what I can to stop it, to stop it in the world, and then I'm going to go sit back down again. A reactive person does that. A proactive person says, this isn't about sin, this is about changing the world for Christ. That there's sin all over the place in this world, but it's no longer my guide. My guide comes from the power of God within me. And I will not back down from Christ within me, the hope of glory. They embrace new situations and see them as challenges and learning opportunities. When their faith is tested, a proactive Christian will say, Thank you God for this learning experience. Because I know you're going to get me through and teach me something that I need that I can share with somebody else. They feel confident, strong, and in control in as much as they know that God is leading their lives and they're in control of the fact that they trust God. The world hasn't told them that they can't trust God. And even if it has, they won't listen because they know they can. They are resolved, resolute in their belief that Christ Jesus is in them. And that's what matters. Not only that, They like to live outside the comfort zone. Oh, I don't know about you, but the comfort zone for me is about as good as a three-second stretch too far. 
I'm, I'm very, very inflexible physically because I have very tight hamstrings and other tendons and ligaments because I don't stretch them very often. The reason I don't stretch them very often is because when I stretch them, they hurt. And the reason they hurt when I stretch them is because I don't stretch them very often. God wants you living in your faith stretch zone. It hurts sometimes. But once you stretch your faith zone, it gets bigger. It's not like a rubber band that snaps back. Once you expand your faith horizon, your horizon is bigger. The distance to which you can reach is further. And it doesn't stretch back. And what happens is we find out the purpose God has for us when we do that. Not only do we feel in control, we feel that God is in control of us and we're okay with that. And we feel stronger because we know we're using God's strength rather than our own to do what He asked us to do. (laughs) It's impossible to live out the Christian faith unless you have the Holy Spirit inside. I'm going to say that again. I didn't hear a whole lot of amens. It's impossible to live out the Christian faith without the Holy Spirit inside. Do you know that? You can't do it. It's the only way you can live like Christ is to have Christ's Holy Spirit in you doing it through you. We are not righteous people. Christ in us makes us the righteousness of God. That's why we have confidence when we're weak. When we're weak, Christ has to be the one strong in us to do the things through us. And it makes you happier and more confident because it's not about you. (laughs) And that's a good thing. Isn't it? (laughs) Maybe not. Oh, but I like to have the attention. Maybe you do. But God wants the glory. And He wants to know that He's the one that's doing it. So He's going to ask you to do something you just don't think you can do. Matter of fact, I probably guarantee you can't. And then when you take that step of faith, it's scary. That's your stretch zone. (laughs) I like stretch zones. Maybe I should have called this the stretch zone instead of the not-not-sin zone. But what would you like to do? Be walking around going, okay, today I'm not going to sin. Or would you rather be going around saying, this is what I am going to do for God because it's what He's shown me to do. You can go around saying, today I'm not going to lie. Or you can say, today I'm going to be honest. What do you struggle with? A proactive person takes initiative, responsibility, influence, and leadership. They may be nervous about those things but they're not trusting themselves or trusting God in it. If you're reactive, other people, circumstances are running your life. Your environment dictates what you do, not God, not you, your environment. There's not a lot of responsibility in that and there's not a whole lot of self-initiative and sometimes none. I share that with you because we sometimes think that we understand it that we understand how our relationship with Christ works. But a lot of believers believe sin's in the equation and that's reactive. And that's why we have a lot of lifeless believers 
who don't think they can change the world. They can't. They should know they can't. And therefore they need God to help them do so. That with God, all things are possible. And He's asked us to do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And God is asking me and He's asking you to do those all things. You just have to learn which one is your stretch zone. And that's where God is working. Here's what I'm learning. Sin, and what we talk about in sin, is determined by law. It's a basic judgment call. In Galatians 5, it talks about it. And I want to share with you a couple of verses there. It also talks about the other side of the equation. Maybe you've um, experienced both. Galatians 5, 4 says, Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are not under grace. Christ has become of no effect in your life. That's Galatians 5, 4. In verse 14, like unto it says, All the law is filled up in one word, in this, that you would love your neighbors yourself. Nowhere in loving your neighbor as yourself does it say not to do something. It says to do something. That's the law summed up. It's about love. Not about being self-righteous and trying to be holy by not doing wrong. But love is a gift of righteousness acted out in holiness by the Holy Spirit. Hear the difference. In Galatians 5.18 it says this, If you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. What is the Spirit's leading? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You know these? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. We talk about that, but the last part of verse 23 says, against such things there's no law. The law doesn't stop you from being patient and just and joyful and gentle. You can't make a law out of that. There's no law about that stuff. And the Holy Spirit is not a law. It's a life of God living through you. It's flowing. It's moving. A law is black and white. The Holy Spirit is transformative. That's the main difference between the two. One is black and white and the other you don't know what's next. (laughs) But you trust God that it's good. Why? Because God is not about rules and regulations. Most people say, I'm religious or I believe in religion, but God isn't about that. God's about love. He's not trying to get people to fit in a box of what they can and cannot do through religious rules and ordinances. That's what um, Muslims do. They live by a set of rules. And if they keep those rules, they're good people. But for us, God has asked us to be people of love. Why? Because that's who He is. Sin is determined by law, as I said. Love from God is a gift of righteousness, acted out in holiness by the Holy Spirit. God does it by empowering us to love. We can't do that. And here's the tough part. 
is either you're all in or you're not in at all. Live your life all in for God. There is not two different ways to live your life. All in doesn't mean partial. It comes from a term when someone was playing cards and they wanted to bet everything they had. It was called all in. I'm all in. i got nothing else I can throw on the table. There's nothing left for me to bid. This is like a pearl of great price that Jesus talked about. He said there was a merchant who found a pearl of great price and he took all he had, sold everything for that one thing. Or a man who found a hidden treasure buried in a field and sold all he had to get that one field, to get that treasure. That's all in. That nothing else matters if you don't have that. And if you're not at that point where nothing else matters, if Christ isn't running your life, you're not all in. And God's power through you is going to be very, very limited and you'll be a reactive believer. And you'll be walking around going, well, I'm not sinning. God's not worried about you not sinning. He's worried about you loving others and being like His character and Christ's character formed in you. There can be no conditions when you surrender to God. You can't say, okay, God, I'll do this for a day. I'll do this for a minute. This is for the rest of your life. And a lot of folks go, I don't know if I can do that. You don't understand what God has in store for you, how wonderful it is and how miserable you are without Him. If you think that way. That you're still reactive to God's promises rather than proactive in entering into them. That's not fun. It hurts. But I want to tell you this morning that you may feel like, well, I just don't know if I can do that. I don't know if it's possible for me to do that. The Holy Spirit says otherwise. He can rewrite your story. He can rewrite your heart and give you a new heart. The Lord has to break down the strongest part of who you are before He can have His own way in blessing you and the world through you. He has to break us to mold us. We are stony-hearted people, according to Ezekiel 34. He wants to put a heart that's moldable, of flesh, of clay, in you and I, so He can take and mold us on His potter's wheel. And until He does, we're ineffective. And it breaks my heart that there will be some people who say, well, you know, I'm set in my ways. <laughs> I got... Uh, I found something online. I think you can appreciate this. This is the reactive and proactive thoughts of a child. The reactive word says, Do I have to? I don't want to. The law says, I have to. I must. The law says, No. Stop. Mine. When we're in the self nature, we say, Why do we got to do that? But when we're in Christ, we'll say, I'll help. Thank you, God. Can we do this together? You're welcome. We can do this. I'd love to help. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play today. I'll do anything you want, whenever, wherever, why ever, anytime, anywhere, any place. I'm all in. That's who God is looking for. The rest, He spits out. He doesn't want people who are halfway there. 
He doesn't want lukewarm believers. And the tough part about it is when when we're reactive, it's all about me. What I'm comfortable with. What I think is right. What I think God wants and not what God's telling me. And this isn't all about you. When you belong to Jesus Christ, it's no longer you in the equation. It's God. It's God first. And then, your spouse, your family, your occupation and ministry, and somewhere down the line, you come in. But God's already got that covered. And you won't have to worry about that because you're so busy working on those other things and doing those things rather than not sitting to make God happy with you. Here's how I found a way to put this into simple sentence. A Christian focuses on loving others rather than reacting to the old sin nature. They're redeemed to live a life of proactive faith, responding to God's prompting in the world around them. It doesn't say we're out there trying to not sin. Well, I I didn't sin too much today, God. I had a good day. God isn't looking at that. He's looking at, did you do something to bless another life? Or were you still so self-focused that you thought it was about you and your sin? Oh, I didn't lie. I've been working on lying. Not lying. I'm telling the truth now. Still about you, isn't it? When does it happen that your life focuses on somebody else? That God has called into your path that you can minister unto and bring the gospel of hope to them rather than you worried about not being sinful. That's what God's asking. Here's the prayer that I believe God wants us to pray. God, if breaking me is what it takes for me to become the person you want me to be, then go ahead. Break me. Until I get out of the way and I stop resisting your grace and mercy in my life and still think about what I do and don't do that makes you happy with me. It's not about what you do and don't do. It's who you love and don't love that makes you happy. You either choose to love or you choose not to. James says it like this. This is sin for us, you and I now. The one who knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, that is the definition of sin. That you haven't been proactive for Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation. It's not about sin for those in Christ Jesus who walk according to the Spirit. It's about living out the faith. So this is not not sinning. This is loving. Given, serving, because God is in you, and that's what God does. Stop blocking His flow through you by focusing on yourself and focus on the fact that He's in you, trying to love the world around you. You will find peace in your heart that way. There is no other way to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you, you tell us that you love us completely and here we go trying to make it happen all over again. Trying to tell you what's right, what's wrong, what, what works, what doesn't work, what we can and cannot do. 
Nowhere in the Scripture does it say we cannot do the impossible. It says you delight in doing the impossible. And you do it through us who are broken for you. So Heavenly Father, I'm asking that each person here this day would examine their hearts as your psalm says in 139. Examine me, O Lord. Test me. Try me. See if there be any wicked way within me that I might walk in the way everlasting and live my life for You. Lord, search me. You know my heart. So test me, try me, and show me whether I'm walking trying not to do something wrong or whether I'm trying to live out my life serving others and know my thoughts. And Lord, see if there is any wicked way in me. And God, lead me in the way everlasting. And until the moment that I'm fully surrendered to You, keep breaking me and breaking me until I'm sand in Your hand, moldable into whatever You need. Lord God, I pray this morning that each of us would focus on what we have in You and who we are. For nothing else matters until that is all that matters. Thank You, Lord. Amen.